You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music and technology. And those of you who listen to us regularly know that we also have a conference called the Music Tectonics Conference, which is taking place online October 25th through 27th and in person in LA on November 2nd. We're doing a mini series of the stars of the 2021 Music Tectonics Conference. These are music tech stars in their own right, but they're also star sponsors of this year's edition of the conference. We attract some of the most forward-thinking movers and shakers who are hardcore supporters of the network that gathers at Music Tectonics. And uh, we're super excited today because we're bringing you two different segments with uh, different guests. We've got first Thomas Hess, who is the founder and CEO of DreamStage. You'll get to hear about what they're up to. And then stay tuned right after that because we are talking to the founder and CEO of Rap Chat. That's Seth Miller. So we've got two great conversations. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast. This is the founder and CEO of DreamStage, Thomas Hess. Hi, Dimitri. It's great to see you. Great to see you and have you here. Thomas and I are looking at each other, but our podcast obviously is just audio. Um, but you're going to hear a great conversation here. Nice to cr- reconnect you with the Music Tectonics audience. Um, we'll get into your illustrious career, but I'm going to dive right in. Since this is our first time having you on the podcast, tell us what DreamStage is. Well, DreamStage is a um, live streaming service for music. Um, we're particularly focused on creating um, opportunities for artists to monetize on their live streams and for fans to interact with artists in the most um, lively, interesting, and diverse a possible way. Got it. Cool. Well, how does it differ from other live streaming platforms? I'm, I'm really curious. There's been so much that emerged in this moment where we need this type of experience for artists to connect with audiences. But what I've seen is each platform has something unique, has its own superpowers. So so what are the superpowers and, and differentiators for DreamStage? Yeah, we, we focused a lot on technology. In fact, uh, we have one of our founders who is an incredible tech visionary, Scott Chasen, who founded uh, four startups and sold all of them successfully so he's pretty amazing and he's assembled an incredible tech team out in colorado um we really consider ourselves ourselves as the market leading tech platform uh market leading tech platform and destination which i'll come to in a second but the tech platform um has this integrated payment and ticketing and streaming uh ux so um, you buy your ticket with DreamStage and you stream on DreamStage and you can do that across all the platforms, mobile, tablet, computer, Apple TV, Android TV, and Roku is just about to come out. So we have this superb quality audio video signal that you can see across all these platforms that's fully integrated with your, with your commerce engine, with our commerce engine, which allows you to buy the tickets, buy things, um, um, we don't just allow the bundling of uh, merchandise with ticket purchases, but we have these in-stream merchandise purchase capabilities. We have in-stream charity donations. And I think our user flow and our UI is absolutely second to none. We're also massively scalable. And as a result, we've done over 100 live streams in the last year, um, including large events with artists such as Polo G, Chief Keith. Riley Green, Yo-Yo Ma, 
train Mastodon, and we've collected a huge amount of experience um, uh, in the process. And we know we know what works, and we know how to do a live stream and how to do it really well. So from a attendee experience perspective, this idea that you're buying the ticket and watching the concert through the same interface is one differentiator because obviously we've seen lots of different models hacked together during the pandemic where you might buy a ticket and then basically you get a Zoom link or, or something like that. Um, so that's, that's one thing. It also sounds like this cross-platform uh, playback experience is a, a piece of it. We haven't seen as many things that are available on television. So the fact that you're going in that direction is 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 probably a unique uh, differentiator as well. Um, what about the the concert discovery component? How does that work? Is are are you looking for because you, your your website talks a lot about partnerships with labels and artists, also sponsorship things like that. Are you looking for those people to drive the attendee base, or can people also discover concerts through Dreamstage? Yeah, so Dreamstage is a destination, unlike some of the other players that just basically give you a platform that you can use on an artist um, white-labeled environment. We think that that's particularly important over time because we're building an audience just like any physical venue or any concert promoter is building an audience uh, through, the, through their ticket sales that they can then draw back and go back to and offer additional events. And um, that's, 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 I think, uh, been, been, been nice, developing very nicely. Um, you know, the, the idea of, of the destination. I think the other aspect uh, you mentioned is, is brands. And, and I think brands like, like it when artists come back. Uh, different artists can be combined potentially in brand deals um, with a beautiful brand uh, partnership with uh, Audible for a Yo-Yo Ma concert. Yo-Yo was playing um, some of the, the concert was called Beginning. So he's playing some of the earliest pieces he had performed in Carnegie Hall when he started his career. And then likewise, Amazon Audible had a audiobook out that was about beginnings and they sponsored the concert and they were part of our promotion. I think one other aspect here is we have a marketing team and the marketing team really knows how to promote live stream events. Um, they come from labels and we have a, a PR team as well. And, and so we've, we, we kind of understand how that works. I think many platforms will not get involved in this, but I think it's essential when you promote the event, that you do it, um, obviously, with the artist announcing it, but then you get behind it, we invest money into that, we support that so that we can get the maximum reach um, for our events. Got it. Great. Well, great. Really interesting to hear about what you're building with DreamStage. Um, and, we, and we dove right into the company, but there's a lot of story behind Thomas Hess, too. Let's talk about how you got into this. What's your background? I was president of Sony Music uh, and in charge of our global digital business and our U.S. sales and distribution for many, many years, almost 10 years. I ran the merger of Sony and BMG initially and then stayed in the combined company um, and was really working on the transition of CDs to downloads and then to streaming. We built the original models with um, Spotify and I was also very involved in monetization of our music videos, uh, founding Vivo together between Sony and Universal at the time. So I've been very much involved in the music video space for a long time and very much involved in the transition of the recorded music business from its old physical format to the new streaming format and setting the precedence for that, which now, thankfully, have really... Uh, 
allowed the music industry to turn around and, and bloom again. So very happy about that. And as I was looking at the music industry and as I was being more involved in the notion of how do you monetize fandom, how do you work with artists on that front, um, with the beginning of the pandemic, we saw a total collapse of the live music business. And this triggered the thought that really the live music business needed some innovation. And, um, and that's where, uh, between myself and my two co-founders, we started DreamStage as, as a major new way for people to enjoy live music from the comfort of their home. And the ambition, obviously, the, the pandemic is a, is a catalyst to this. But the ambition really here is to make watching live music um, as attractive on your TV screen in your home or on your multiple screens in your home as it is to watch sports. You obviously wouldn't think you obviously go to watch sports events in person, but you also watch a lot of sports at home because it's so well presented and you're so close to the sports performance. And I think similarly, we expect people to go back and to watch lots of live music events in person, but we also expect them to really enjoy the crystal clear clarity and the extraordinary sort of um, dynamic of having uh, an amazing live stream of music happening in the comfort of your home, which you can watch together with many other people. It's so intriguing to me, Thomas, that you have this, you know, this really executive level experience with a, with a significant record label and that now you're in this live streaming space. It's really cool to think through your kind of your sort of your mindset and your perspective on jumping into this, seeing this as an opportunity. Um, have you always thought about the, the live side of the experience, even when you were running a, a major record label? The record labels aren't really very involved in live. They support the artists in terms of, you know, obviously wanting the artist to go on tour to sell music, but it's always been a very separate business. Um, we've, we've often, in my role as uh, running digital and, and being very involved with the strategy of the company, thought about getting more involved in live, but it always seemed quite complex from the point of view of an incumbent significant business. I think what I love about it, working in a startup um, is we can just, reinvent the world there's just three founders we look at each other in the eye and we can do what we want to do um, um, obviously there are a lot of contingencies out there there's a whole big universe that we're breaking into but we can really drive innovation and that's been something that i've loved to do i did that at, i love doing that at sony um, i love doing that at bertelsmann and, and i'm very excited to do it now from the perspective of a, of a startup and I think we can really contribute something to to move this industry forward and to create an, a great experience for fans and an amazing experience, an amazing opportunity for artists to leverage their social media, to leverage their existing relationships with fans, to really build these, these live streaming events. And I'm convinced that five years from now, we'll look back at this moment and we'll say, how could we ever basically launch a new album? How could we ever launch a new tour without doing a live stream with the fans. It seems such an obvious thing to assemble all your fans worldwide, get them together and speak to them up close and personal, talk to them about what made you, um, you know, uh, you know what, what, in, what motivated you to create this music or what do you want to do on your tour? And I think there's a, there's a ton of uh, just commercial opportunity of it being not just very attractive and revenue generating for the artist in itself, but also being a core part of the overall sort of chain of marketing 
um, that is greatly uh, accretive in terms of um, selling music or getting people to listen to your music or selling tickets in, uh, in person. Yeah, it's so interesting. Before the pandemic, live streaming was not, it was, many people have been attempting for several years, but on the, on the, from the music point of view, it just was not considered a, a, a way to interact, a way to engage. I'm curious to hear from you, kind of thinking through that timeline of your take on, on where we've come with live streaming pre-pandemic. Now we're going into this fourth phase of a pandemic and where you think it's going. Where, where are we now and where do you think it's going, Thomas? You know, the pandemic has been a catalyst. Before the pandemic, people didn't think they could really work from home for months. And now they realize they can actually do it. And some people aren't going to come back to any offices because they think it's so convenient. So I think it's sort of changed our perspective and it's accelerated the trend to us being much more digitally engaged with each other from the comfort of our home. And I think that as a result of that, this has just spurred this innovation. And we've seen people like media... Uh, predict that the ticketed live streaming business would be something like um, up to $6 billion uh, by, um, I think it's 2025 or 2027. 20, 20, 20, 20, uh, um, so I think it's it's just uh, 2027, $6 billion, I think is the number. And, wow. I, and, and so I think we, yeah, I think it's, it's, people change, innovation changes. There's a ton of people who just live on the internet, who live on their mobile phones, who, who are very used to this. And I think when we, if we can bring these new features in terms of amazing quality, involving the big screen as well as the small screen, um, getting the interactivity really going between the fans and between the fans and the artists, um, you know, I think we really have something that's incredibly valuable and will allow people to participate in these events, um, even if they're not there. And, and Dimitri, if you allow me, I think there's two types of events that people want to see, that people can see. One is this amazing um, live event that uh, is really just in the virtual space. And we've seen Neil Horan sell 125,000 tickets. We've seen Andrea Bocelli sell 65,000. We see, we've seen um, um, Dua Lipa selling over 200,000 tickets um, for that. And then the other is, so these are customized, beautiful, gorgeously curated events from extraordinary landmarks that you could never really use uh, frequently as a, as, a, as a venue. And then there's sort of just the ability to just peek into concert events all over the world that are simulcast to your home while they happen. And, um, and I think that's, that's uh, just from a standard concert hall, but you could just be almost anywhere if you want to participate. So we have, for example... Uh, cameras in the basement east in Nashville, where a lot of artists are coming through and we're broadcasting about two events every week um, for people to participate in that. Even if you're not in Nashville, even if you can't go out, you don't have a babysitter, you want to just be at home. And so we think that, that those are both really compelling propositions. Awesome. That's that's great. I appreciate kind of like where you see things going and, and the fact that you do see things sticking around and that there might be a variety of models. And I like those two two sort of models that you, you put forth. Um, one is almost like a bespoke for live streaming situation. And one is a simulcast where you get to be places you could be elsewhere. So we have a tradition at Music Tectonics where we say to our guests, let's get sci-fi now. When you imagine an ideal near future music industry, what do you see? What, 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 is the, what is the next, the futuristic view into where things are going? Look, I think that the biggest um, opportunity, I think, in music 
is for the artists to really build a strong bond with their fans. And I've written editorials in, in Billboard and other places talking about super fans and the role they play with respect to an artist's business. You know, it's the same in airlines, it's the same in banking. The top 20% tend to make 80% of the revenue. And in banking, we have private banking. And in the airlines, we have first-class travel. We, we try and give those customers who spend the most money and who are the most avid users of our product, we give them a better experience. I think in music, we've never really done that. So I think the biggest trend in my mind is that we need to look after the super fans, those that listen to the music all the time, those that go to the concert, those that buy our merchandise. We need to you know, uh, take better care of them and give them better experiences. And um, we certainly think that in the live business, that's something we're going to do because it's the super fans that will buy the tickets to these events. But I also think that in recorded music, um, it's a data-driven model where music companies, labels, uh, and ultimately artists need to understand their fans better. And I think in the world we live in, that responsibility will increasingly go back to the artists and sort of monetizing fandom. We've, we know, all know what BTS did and how incredible they built their fandom. And obviously Korea is a somewhat different market and then everywhere else. But I think to me, Dimitri, this is the biggest theme. Artists taking the relationships with their fans into their own hands, running their own live streams, running their own processes, being very much integrated with that. And if they feel they can't do that. I think there's labels, there's service providers, there's all, you know, all sorts of third parties that can help you do that. Um, but I, I see that interaction as being the core theme for innovation and for transformation going forward. Well, I'm really glad we had a chance to, to take a pause in life and, and have a conversation with you, hear your perspective, hear what you're building, what sort of how you're crafting it according to what you think the vision should be for live streaming, and then to get this contextual uh, perspective as well. And I'm excited that you came in and you were at the first Music Tectonics Conference, now our third year. You're, you're going to be a part of it. Uh, Dream Stage is one of our stars and super excited to have the support, but also looking forward to your, your panel, your discussion, seeing what kind of networking you do and just being a part of the, the whole thing. As we wrap up this speed round, what are you hoping to get out of the Music Tectonics Conference this year, Thomas? Look, Dimitri, you, you're running a great conference and I, I'm looking forward to being there. I'm looking forward to meeting with a ton of um, you know key people from the industry, learning about the latest trends and their perspective, um, hearing about the side from the business side and the artist side. I think uh, I really look forward to it. Congratulations for uh, making it to the third year. It's amazing. Yes, it's it's been quite a couple of years, hasn't it? I'm so excited to have you along for the ride, and I'm looking forward to seeing you online and in the metaverse. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you, Dimitri. Okay, that was a blast. I want you to stay tuned because Seth Miller, the founder and CEO of Rap Chat, is coming up right after this break. Who will you meet at Music Tectonics? Our annual conference is known for bringing people together from across the music tech landscape to share ideas and get business done. In 2021, we're bringing together a slate of speakers at the cutting edge of tech for recorded music, live music, and music making. You'll hear from Tracy Chan, head of music at Twitch, the live stream platform built for gamers, now home to many artists who stream live shows to their adoring fans. Mark Mulligan, Managing Director of Media Research and everyone's favorite music tech seismologist. 
Marisol Siegel, Head of Digital Partnerships at AEG Presents, Will Page, the former Chief Economist at Spotify and author of Tarzan Economics, Dina Lapolt, Top Music Industry Lawyer, David Pelham, Royalties at Concord, and many, many more music tech movers and shakers. Get your ticket to join them at the online conference October 25th through 27th at musictectonics.com. That same ticket gets you access to in-person networking by the sea in the Los Angeles area on November 2nd. Do not miss this. We are back. And in this segment, we get to dive into another big theme of this year's Music Tectonics Conference that I'm super excited about. It's about the amazing traction coming from new tools for creating music. These are companies, platforms, apps that are empowering a new generation of musical creators, songwriters, musicians, vocalists, and sometimes rappers. We're super pumped to hear that Rap Chat is getting a ton of engagement. And I'm excited to have with me today on the podcast, Seth Miller, the CEO and founder of Rap Chat. How's it going, Seth? It's going well, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the podcast, coming out to the conference. Um, but, you know, this is your first time kind of engaging on the podcast. And since we haven't had you on before, I'd love it if you just go ahead and explain what Rap Chat is for anyone who's been missing out, who hasn't yet made their made their songs and tracks on it yet. Yeah, for sure. So Rap Chat is the easiest way to make music on your phone. Um, and we like to think of it like a recording studio in your pocket, but then also... Uh, there's a community aspect to it where, you know, you have profiles, you have feeds, challenges, you can connect with other artists around the world. And yeah, to date, we've enabled over 7 million artists around the world, over 200 countries to make music on their phone. And really, our mission is to democratize music. So that's uh, that's the short of it. Oh, man, I love it. You know, I, I jumped on and played with the app before, um, and it literally is like... <laughs> It guides you through to pick like some beats that you like that you you want to check out, and then there's just a big red record button, <laughs> and so you <laughs> yeah. can literally just start improving right then and there, riffing and rhyming and doing whatever else you want to do, and uh, and then there's the effects right beneath it you can start playing with too. So I I mean I, I was shocked how quickly I became a rapper. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of like our thing and why I initially uh, started the app when I was in college is because. You know, I'm not an actual musician by any means, but I always enjoyed freestyle with my friends. And so um, I wanted to recreate that experience like on your phone, the same way you could take a picture and send it to your friends. And so the really like bare bones MVP beta version was pick a beat, record. There's only one track. There wasn't even vocal effects back in the day and then send that off. And, uh, you know, we still try and make it easy enough for anyone to make a song. But then since then, like you've seen, we've added vocal effects and a lot more functionality so that now people can make full length multi-track songs even with collaborating from with other people too so uh yeah we kind of serve a lot of different use cases um which i think is unique yeah you meant you mentioned the idea of challenges i, I didn't get as far to figure out what that is how do the challenges work in rap chat yeah no it depends on the challenge i mean we have challenges where you can win real cash which is fun we have challenges where you can win a verse on a popular artist song as an example uh we've worked with yeah major artists uh, for, uh around the world we've worked with mgk Wiz khalifa flip de niro and kind of one of my favorites is when like a artist that's about to release a song they'll put their instrumental on the app and then they'll put also an instrumental with their vocals as the hook 
And then our artists in the community can, you know, listen to Flip De Niro on the chorus and then come in and rap their verse and basically do like an asynchronous, you know, collaboration or remix. Um, so, yeah, it again, it just depends on the challenge. We do all sorts of different stuff, but it just gives our um, community a way to engage with, you know, the industry, uh, which is fun. And then also a chance to just participate and win prizes or, you know, win tickets to festivals, like whatever it is. Cool. You know, um, can you can you talk a tiny bit about sort of the collaborative and social aspect of it? How does that how does it reveal itself within the the app experience? Um, and how are people engaging with each other? What do they get to do together? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they get to make music together. So um, and we're still kind of early on in our journey as we build these products out. But really, the first iteration we've had for a couple years now is I can open the app, pick a beat, record, say, like, 30 seconds of myself rapping or singing and then I can invite you to open that song in your studio and finish it or add ad libs or do a chorus um, and then we create a collab and you know you get to see on the app and you know in your feed you know me and you made a track together that's kind of like v1 of our collabs we actually just released uh, a feature called remixes where you can do that exact experience asynchronously. So I could record 30 seconds and instead of just inviting you, I can say allow for remix and now a hundred people can go remix my song. So uh, we're really bullish on like creating more, you know, modes to create and more modes to collaborate. And I think, you know, remix culture is so big and in, in social now, even on TikTok and Instagram with the duets um, it makes it makes just as much, if not more, sense for for music because it's so collaborative uh, by nature. Yeah, that that is crazy, Seth. I just, I love to hear about that. And what you say about remix culture is so interesting to think about because it's really uh, feels like it started in music. It started with with a lot of hip hop, and then to see it in video culture and creator culture that it's expanding out. You know that that's super yeah. awesome. So it's almost like a, a ricochet effect or or something like that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like remember the mixtape era? Like that's when I grew up, and that's when I got you know attached to hip hop and freestyling. Like you would have the same beat on. Lil Wayne, MGK, Young Jeezy across all these different mixtapes. And, you know, obviously that that ended for a lot of legal reasons. But um, that same thread is what still powers a ton of creativity today. And so we're kind of trying to bring that back in a sense as well. I've thought about how that remix culture is not that different than how music has been from the earliest periods of time where people were doing some song that became a classic, a folk song or a classic or something, and just everyone's iteration of it became part of the art itself. And so it's so fun to see tools available that make it so much easier to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so you talked about traction a little bit at the very beginning, but you ran through some numbers really quick. Let's let's slow down. What kind of traction is Rap Chat getting? Um, you mentioned user numbers. I'm curious. You also have two different types of users in a way, right? Because you have the producers putting up the beats, and then you yeah. have the individual vocalists or or rappers or whatever adding stuff to the mix. I'd love to hear a little bit about the other side of the market too. Yeah, that's what's super cool is that the producers organically come to our website and they upload beats for our community to be able to record over, upload and share, you know, within our terms. So, um, you know, that's been kind of an organic part of our flywheel in our community where we've had, uh, yeah, over 15,000 producers around the world upload beats and license to our community for free. Um, so now we have a catalog of over 120,000, like, 
instrumentals that our artists can have access to. And um, that's that's really sick. I mean, it's hard to to kind of replicate that. And, you know, a typical music tech company would have to go and license and pay huge fees for catalogs. Like we've been able to kind of just create our own playground and the producers love it because, you know, these beats, they've generated hundreds of millions of plays uh, in the lifetime of our app. And they, they really do make sales from our community as well. So an artist on our platform will find a beat from this producer in Norway, upload a song over it, and then DM them on the platform and say, hey, I want to like actually buy this track. And then they, they transact, right? So right now it's a very much an open marketplace with a lot of different stakeholders. And um, the producers love it because they're finally getting love. And they usually, you know, historically haven't got as much credit as they deserve. Um, and we plan to you know, actually build real transaction layers where they can transact that much easier on platform, generate more revenue, get cut into, you know, future opportunities. And, you know, we're only getting started on that front. Yeah, that's, that's super cool to hear. So I'm curious, have you had any artists break out from rap chat yet? And if so, can you tell us about a couple that like got there started by, by hitting that button on their phone and then ended up actually putting out you know, professional recordings or touring or collabing or, or, or anything with artists we'd know about, things like that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. One that comes to mind uh, recently was this artist named Jaleel that we heard on a podcast actually shout out Rap Chat and said, hey, I got my start on Rap Chat and I got a chance to talk to him. Super cool dude, crazy energy uh, and is, is yeah, touring and, and blowing up right now. But you know, his his quote on this podcast was like, Rap Chat was the first time he ever heard his voice over a beat. And that's when he found out he could make music, which is which is crazy, right? Um, so, you know, that's one of my favorite recent cases um, because now, you know, he's got hundreds of thousands of fans. You know, he's got labels trying to sign him. He's, he's going on tour and, he, and he's really doing it. It's his career. So we were the launch pad for his career. And I think that's how we, that's how we think about our position in the market in general is like being the launch pad for the next 100 Jaleels. So, um, you know, that's an example of someone that's going from from nothing to, to something. And um, we've also had different examples where artists come on and say they're more established and, you know, haven't been, you know, whatever, as popping as of late, but they want to, you know, make a comeback. We've had artists come do challenges, um, like K-Camp uh, came and did a challenge over this song called Lottery. And then we had a challenge popping off on our platform. And then in like a month, it was one of the biggest TikTok trends out there. And the music was like getting shared to TikTok. And yeah, I mean, generally billions of impressions over in TikTok land. So, you know, we do provide a lot of value to different artists at different parts in their journey. Um, I think we're still really focused on being the launch pad for the aspiring Jaleel type artists, but there's a lot of opportunities um, for all artists too. It's I I love the quote that uh, you got from him about about his experience because that's that really does you know you you think oh well I don't know how to I don't know how to produce a track or record or anything and that experience of actually just putting your voice it doesn't matter how good how bad whatever putting your voice over a beat and all of a sudden you can start to imagine wait a second I could practice this I could actually get good at this I could actually you know like work on this and it, it just all you have to do is start you know what I mean yeah. And, and actually, one of the big themes of the, of the Music Tectonics Conference this year is this conversion of music creation by the masses that we're talking about and the record industry, because that's the other side. Is like, yep. what is this going to do to the larger music economy? Do you think we'll see more artists arising from platforms like Rap Chat and becoming full-on musical icons? What signs do you see that this will be a force to be reckoned with? And how soon do you think this will actually have a massive impact? Oh, I mean, 
for sure. Obviously, I'm very, very bullish on it. But yeah, I mean, I think the signs are are there. Like you said, this is kind of like been happening in music forever, but there's never really been the digital transformation 100x moment that you've seen with other mediums, whether it's photo, video, live stream, YouTube, you know, music hasn't quite had that. And it's going to because music's so like inherent in our DNA. Um, so I really do believe that we'll see, yeah, this era of mass music creation, I think it's begun. And like Spotify and and some of this streaming era has been a good, you know, a good start to provide revenue opportunities for the masses in the long tail. So I think that's that's really interesting. And even Spotify continues to reference in their, you know, public announcements that, you know, they expect 50 million creators or they expect a 10x jump in the five years, like whatever it is, like they're, I mean, they're stating that they expect this rise to come. But, you know, I, I really think that it's just, it's just obvious. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, even if you go to YouTube or SoundCloud and and look at these artists that are just uploading snippets, like, you know, the rate of people doing that is just growing so rapidly. And now that, you know, you can have a mobile recording studio in your pocket, like, I think that's a big moment. It took, it took a little while for the devices and the software to be able to support, you know, multi-layer recording properly and things like that. But I think we've you know, we've jumped over that technical hurdle. And now it's just about like, how can we open the floodgates? Um, and how can we provide monetization opportunities for the long tail? And again, Spotify paying people out, you know, everyone has their opinion on that, but it's still providing at least some opportunity. And I think we're going to create many more revenue streams as well. Yeah, I think we're going to hear a lot about that at the, at the conference this year about all these like additive layers. Like, um, I just did a j- just did an event recently on smartest people in the room with t- Tom Truitt, and we were talking about emerging themes. And I think one of the themes that I I'm not sure I got to in that conversation, but was thinking about is the idea that streaming is digital. Digital streaming is almost like the the new radio, and it's sort of like the base layer. Yeah, but you get absolutely. paid for it in America. Yeah. You're not getting paid for radio, but you are getting paid for Spotify. But it's not quite. It's not really enough for all artists to necessarily make a living. But it's a base layer. What yes. we're going to look at, I think, and talk about and hear about a lot at the conference, including from you, um, is this idea that well, how do you build on top of that? So what are the ne- what are the next digital revenue streams that add to that? It could be subscriptions. It could be new forms of licensing. It could be new uh, fan engagement things, more direct to fan. All, all that kind of stuff is getting layered on top. So I'm. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. No, I was going to say like for sure. And I think another thing is when we talk about the marketplace layer that we plan to build in our community, and I'm sure it's it's not totally unique, but like these artists in the long tail being able to get compensated for participating with other artists, the same way that Drake makes a hundred K for a feature, whatever, probably a hundred mil, <laughs> like whatever that is, like, you know, an average artist could charge 50 bucks for a feature one day. And like, that's a pretty big high margin item for there. So I I do think there's tons of different additive opportunities and especially even capitalizing on their ascend from zero to a thousand fans and then a thousand to 50,000 fans. And that's kind of where we're, yeah, obviously where we're focused. Well, this is cool. We're getting into kind of the dream state, the vision, the future. One thing we love to do with guests on Music Tectonics is we like to get sci-fi. So, Seth, (laughs) if you'll get sci-fi with us, what does the future of music look like in your wildest imagination? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's super open. It's much more democratic than historically it's ever been. I think it's going to be just, it's crazy to even imagine all the different types of 
genres that will evolve as well as you start to make it easier to collaborate across continents, across languages, across genres. Um, I think you'll see a lot more like, I mean, there's so many different trends going on, whether it's crypto or whether it's, um, you know, some of this auto generative stuff. Yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting like new types of new types of music. Like it's not just the, the standard song has already been broken up a good bit when you think about whatever freestyles or you think about long form or you think about TikTok shorts, like the standard song is really changed and now it can be broken up into components. And when you have components, you can create a hundred more songs. So I take the remixes example because like that's a real thing that we can standardize. And now, you know, Lil Wayne can come and drop a chorus and then have 2000 songs remixed and actually get credit properly in you know, the, the industry on Spotify, if the pipes are all clean and the information's clean. So I, I yeah, I think it's bigger. I think the revenue, I mean, it still blows my mind how like kind of little <laughs> money music makes in aggregate compared to other industries. Like I, I just think it's, you know, a lot of floodgates are about to be unlocked and a lot of different types of music, a lot of different types of creators. Um, yeah, it's all, I mean, it's all going to change. Man, I, I love a couple of things that, that you just said that I'll, I'll kind of pull out a, a little bit. Um, one of them is this idea that just the, 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 the open collaboration that's emerging just through the use of technology in these digital platforms like RapChat and other, other things, that just the very nature of nobody's in between these two potential collaborators saying, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what it's supposed to sound like. And since some of these artists are doing it purely for creativity, they're not looking to try to do anything other than just pursue their artistic vision. And in that collaborative form, totally new forms are emerging and will continue to emerge. And that leads to a whole other level of creativity. So eventually one of them will become a hit and you'll hear it and you'll be like, what the hell? What, what kind of <laughs> mashup is that? Where, did, where yeah. did that come from? Because nobody said they couldn't do it and nobody right. stopped them from connecting and figuring out how to work together, whether it's human versus human or human collaborating with human or human collaborating with robot, you know, with the yeah, AI no, stuff for and, sure, for and all sure. that kind of stuff. So that, that, that part of it's really interesting. And the other thing that I got inspired by just now in your response is that I've been thinking the whole remix culture is so problematic because of the rights issues. But what I'm hearing is this floodgate is is going to be gone. And it, and we're, we as a society, whether it's our legal systems or our economic systems, our licensing and our rights systems, are going to have no choice but to figure out a way to do it because there's going to be so many collaborations and so many remixes coming out that it's, it's basically unstoppable. So the real question is, how are we going to make it work financially, ethically, legally, quick enough so that people can capture market share rather than just be another Napster moment, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's obviously super complicated. I don't, I don't think it's big, been quite figured out. But to me, it just starts with clean data and clean information. And that's what I really like about how we've been able to kind of keep everything in our community because we can track, you know, we know who collaborated with who or we know who produced the beat. So we have all that data to, to make sure it's, it's clean. I think in the future, you kind of have to take a similar approach to the space as a whole. And it's a win-win for everybody. Like I remember last year, uh, a major label, uh, someone at a major label hit me up about a song that was like literally in the top 10. And they're like, Hey, in theory, if we did a challenge on rap chat and they remixed this song and pushed it to Spotify, because we are going to enable distribution soon, you know, could we count that towards, you know, 
it being in the charts or it being, you know, they, they saw a ton of upside in allowing that. And, mm. uh, you know, we didn't end up doing it, but I, I just think that was kind of a light bulb moment where it's like, this is a win-win. Like, I think people are much more okay now where like, if you want to remix my song a thousand times and I see upside, whether on the label, the artist, uh, like I, I think they're going to do it. So it's just, I, I think it's just more a data problem. Uh, keeping the information clean and then maybe creating some open standards um, across the space, across the different rights organizations um, and that type of stuff's definitely like above my pay grade. But, like, <laughs> you know, I think it, it will happen just because the incentives are much more aligned when the pie is growing. Yeah, totally. Cool. All right. We're going to wrap up real soon, but I want to ask you, are there any other trends or companies emerging in music that you'd like to shout out for their innovation? I always love to kind of connect. That's our version of collaboration, right? We get to talk to you who formed this social music creation app out of Columbus, Ohio, and now have this worldwide user base. You might be sitting somewhere um, in, in the industry or collaborating across other industries that we haven't even heard about yet. So I'm just curious to get your take. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I think music tech is going through a little bit of a golden era. Um, there's, you know, more funding available. It's a little more sexy now. Um, I think the cryptocurrency movement has um, attracted some some new opportunities as well and new companies. So, yeah, I mean, just to rattle some off, like I think what Audius is doing is cool. It's like a fresh approach and and different than a typical streaming service. Um, I think. You know, Royal is a is a new one that's coming out. Um, cryptocurrency based, like that. You know, I've heard them talk a good bit. I think that's really cool. Splice, BandLab, um, yeah, Spotify still doing cool shit. Like I still love, you know, Spotify's product. Um, SoundCloud, I think, had a resurgence in supporting artists. I, really like anyone in this space I respect for going after it and and also like Revelator and a couple of these other distribution um, companies these are really important um, because you know like what Revelator is doing is providing distribution as an API for um, or at least one of the things they're doing as an API for different platforms so now you'll see more platforms like ours be able to have our creators send music to revenue generating services and actually collect royalties um, so, yeah, and I, I, you know, obviously I don't think it's a zero sum game by any means. And there's plenty of music creation tools. There's plenty of music streaming tools, plenty of distrib distribution tools. Um, I think we're all going to win in the next decade as we, as we see this explosion. Awesome. Appreciate those insights and love those shout outs, um, partially because almost every single one of those people have been invited to speak at Music Tectonics. So <laughs> well, good. that was not planned. Yeah, no, no, I don't. You and I haven't talked about it yet. All right. So but as we wrap up this little seismic shift speed round with you at Rap Chat, what are you hoping to get out of the Music Tectonics conference this year? Yeah, I mean, just connect and collaborate with, you know, some of these people that you mentioned is going to be there. And I think um, it's really cool to see yeah, just the rise of new companies, the traction, um, and, you know, just the fun we're all having doing this and kind of disrupting a space and, and helping it grow and, and aggregate. And yeah, I mean, and that's really it. Just chop it up with like-minded individuals. 
Awesome, Seth. I'm so glad we got to chat in, in advance and get a preview into what you're up to and your insights. And also really excited to have you coming out to Music Tectonics. You guys will get to hear Seth speak at the conference. Um, we'll be uh, online October 25th through 27th, including both our favorite uh, kind of video conference platform, Hopin. Love the speed networking there. And also in the metaverse, we're back in Deggy World. You'll get to set up your avatar. Um, Rap Chat will have a booth there where you can go and meet with Seth and his teams avatars as well and then of course if anyone wants to come out to la bring your mask we're going to be out on the ocean uh, in santa monica on november 2nd for that as well seth it's been great talking to you can't wait to see you online at the conference yeah thanks so much for having me had a good time Woo woo! thanks for listening to music tectonics if you like what you hear please subscribe on your favorite podcast app we have new episodes for you every week Did you know? You can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye! You're listening to Music Tectonics.